0: Welcome to News in Context, I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we explore how one community is working to have the hard conversations growing out of this moment. As protesters push for reforms to police practices and funding and seek to reframe and call out the false or sanitized narratives that have underpinned mainstream views of U.S. history, many in the U.S. struggle to come to terms with what they know and what they're seeing. Zena Jacques and Jessica Green co-host a project called A Year of Courageous Conversations in a small town in Illinois. Zena is reverend at Community Church of Barrington, where the conversations take place. The goal of A Year of Courageous Conversations is to have people in the community connect and relate across differences and tackle challenging community issues. Dina and Jessica, welcome. Community
1: Church of Barrington is um, a community church. It is always drawn from every aspect of the Barrington community and beyond. And that's because it was the only church here for several years back in 1847. And in that way, we have um, diversity of thought, of age, And it becomes this marvelous laboratory for difference to rise up, but in the context of relationship. So I thought we were the perfect place to try courageous conversations because we are bound together. We care about one another. We are community, but we're not family. We're not living in the same household. So there's space, there's psychic space to take in difference, wrestle with it. Not have to look in the face of the person, but then, but then come back to that person.
2: Dr. King said it.
1: It's not filled with racial difference. My husband and I and one other congregant represent the diversity, the racial diversity but it is diversity of political thought. It is diversity of age. It's diversity of where people grew up. So sitting side by side could be a fourth generation person from Barrington and a person from Kentucky or a person from England or a person from upstate New York or a person from South Carolina. I mean, so you've got this mix of people in terms of how they grew up and, and how they've come to the places um, of where they stake themselves. It's a Baptist church, which means we decide who we're going to ordain. And this church was able to ordain a lesbian woman, a Baptist church, and nobody left. And and it wasn't easy. Please don't hear that as a slam dunk. But that's what I mean by the willingness to be engaged in conversation and to, and to stick together to do that. So it's it's really ideologically, and geographically, uh, that we find diversity in these pews.
2: Mm-mm. Yeah. Yes.
1: Two examples. Before I brought the congregation to that conversation, I invited uh, two colleagues, two, two clergy who sit at opposite ends of the spectrum on the LGBTQ issue in particular. And we had three sessions together. Their job was to pepper me with every question that would come from their side. And it was fabulous. And these are two people that I care about deeply. So we weren't about to break relationship either. And we knew we were gonna disagree. The more conservative of that pair, as, as they were leaving after our last session, he's a, he's a wonderful human being, turned around with this fabulous smile and said, don't ever ask me to do this again. And I said, why? And he said, cause you made me learn and grow. It was the perfect exclamation point. So one of the things we do is to say here, you don't have to agree with me, but we're in relationship. I want you to try and understand me. My favorite phrase is you don't have to buy it, but I need you to rent it for the next 60 minutes. And so this whole notion of pretend like it's yours for 60 minutes, just calm down long enough to hold it. And then you can give it right back to me. And so we give people permission to wade in, but not have to stay and to wade in and not have to fight you're going to be able to give it back to me. There's just one more thing. I'm not a threat. I'm not going anywhere. You all have power. You pay my salary. We got to make this work. I'm not a threat. I'm not going to embarrass them, uh, at least not purposefully. (laughs) So there is, um, there's a trust factor. I've been here 13 and a half years. There's a trust factor. It's been fascinating to watch them both be willing to temper what could be ire in other, in other ways. It's a lovely thing. It really is a lovely thing. And start at the beginning that this would not have been birthed had it not been for you and Claire.
3: Oh, thanks. A year of courageous conversations was birthed out of this uh, kind of um, reconnection that I had with my friend Claire Nelson, who is the founder of an organization called Urban Consulate. And Claire, like myself, grew up in Barrington. She no longer lives in Barrington. She's now um, a New Orleans resident. But I moved back to Barrington after many years of living abroad and in Chicago and now have kids. My family's here. So I returned. So I'm that I'm that kid who said I would never come back to my hometown who did come back to my hometown. Um, and actually, it's been really wonderful to be an adult in this community. Uh, you see it through different eyes, and um, it is a beautiful and generous community. Uh, However, after 2016, um, the election occurred, I think that Claire and I found that we had common concerns about uh, how to have difficult and challenging, but thoughtful conversations, particularly within our own families on social issues, particularly around um, immigration, racism, equity, diversity, um, inclusion. And we were struggling to be able to thoughtfully have those conversations with our own family members. So we thought, well, gosh, if we're people who are struggling to talk to our family members, how are we going to talk to even our neighbors, right, if we can't talk to our family members? Claire said, well, hey, are you interested in trying to start a conversation in Barrington around these social issues that we take really seriously and we would like to be able to talk about as a community? And I said, hey, okay. (laughs) So um, we began to formulate this idea and it became a year of courageous conversations and one person i said we cannot move forward with this project without zina jacques because zina is a world of wisdom and zina and i had been in relationship for probably about six years up up by that point or five years um through interfaith work uh, which I also do in Chicago area. And so I had already been able to be in conversation with Zena on some very difficult topics uh, around religion and beliefs and spirituality and racism as well. Created this curricular arc that became a year of Courageous Conversations. We wanted to be in dialogue with one another as a community and as people, but we also wanted to be in dialogue with ourselves. And courage is something that um, we all need a little bit of in order to not only talk to our neighbors whom we might not know or whom we might disagree with, um, but it's something that we absolutely need in order to go inwards and be introspective about ourselves, where our fears come from, and why we behave the way we behave, why we react instead of respond, um, where our biases come from and how to understand what those are and and why they exist and just to get to know ourselves better. And so courageous is one of those words that we felt really held um, the heft of what we were trying to ask people to do um, with one another and with themselves. And then lastly, with regards to the topics that we were talking about. We addressed um, white privilege, we've addressed prejudice, we've addressed segregation, we've addressed um, equity. And um, as a nation and as a community, we think that these conversations do take courage uh, to allow yourself to dive in to it and reflect and and do that with authenticity. So. That, I think, is where courageous
1: came from. In the etymology of courageous, you have heart, cure, heart. This is not head work alone. It's not even headwork primarily. It's certainly not legislative. It is what starts in the heart. Do we see one another's humanity such that we are curious about how you got there, what you believe? That's what I loved about the word courageous that it requires me to come to traverse this 18 inches from head to heart.
2: Mhm.
1: When you said Gina that people were ready to have at it, you just you you just don't know how true those words were. There were people who thought that the, the title Courageous Conversations means that we were going to come in and throw red meat on the table and say, go, and see who would be brave enough to you know, argue and fuss and fight. And there were people that I think were, were maybe, maybe disappointed is too strong a term, but sort of were not altogether pleased at the way we started. And, and the first four sessions were all interior work. We really wanted to invite people to think about what what the biology of courage and fear was, why we were fearful. Fear is a response. Courage is a choice. That is a phrase from Dr. Aaron Reeves, our very first speaker. We wanted people to understand the power of mindfulness so that when you are triggered, first of all, know why you're triggered. And when you are triggered, that you can be present uh, and not respond to the trigger. Fear is a response. Courage is a choice. We wanted people to know really what it was to listen. And so all of this, as you can hear, is very, very interior work. So before we had the first um, session that might, if you will, offer grist for this meal, it was setting the table for kind of how to behave, adventurous civility and generosity and, and then us practicing that tools to have the courageous conversation it was a slow lead up and we talked about slow time as a as a tool but it was hard for some people because they wanted as you said to get at it but by the time we got to those challenging topics uh, I think people could apply those tools in a
2: very different way Yeah.
3: Yeah, the soft stuff is the hard work. You know, it's easy to go into a conversation and debate something around your opinion when all you have to do is give your thought on it rather than to listen. So we were trying to build empathy, we were trying to build mindfulness, we were trying to build the pause before the response. Being in conscious relationship with one another, I think, is what we were really trying to cultivate, because um, that's what we really feel we're lacking. And when I say we, I really should say I, um, and speak on behalf of myself, because I felt that I was lacking those skills with my family or with my friends with whom I disagreed. What really brought me here was my inability to listen generously, continue to be curious and to um, continue to keep my heart open even when I felt that I was being challenged. And so those were the skills that I wanted to build my perspective was why not why should I be doing this by myself? <laughs> let's invite other people to do this with me. But they also, you know, you bring up the kind of go at it, you know, mentality and and yes, I think I think we have a history in this nation of of using debate as the way to get across ideas. And so we frame this in a way where debate was not on the table. It was more of a let's let's put some um topics up here where we're going to listen to somebody talk about them and then we can we can marinate in them and and wrestle with them ourselves and then talk to our neighbors about what we've learned and what we've heard Uh, so we wanted to shift the paradigm that we currently are using in in the talking head you know and the debate system it's a little bit broken right now and that wasn't That wasn't the approach we were trying to take.
0: You're listening to News in Context. We're talking with Reverend Zina Jacques and Jessica Green, co-hosts of A Year of Courageous Conversations in Barrington, Illinois.
1: I think two things have happened in this congregation in the 13 and a half years that I've been here. Uh, One, there is a six foot loud black woman whom you have to listen to for 20 minutes every Sunday and you can't talk back who's going to challenge your stereotypes, right? You can no longer think or say the things you've thought or said because you know her, you know her husband. Uh, There are these people she keeps bringing into your presence, either in worship or in other settings. She's got four degrees hanging on her wall and she likes bourbon and knows how to dance. I mean, you know, so you take this whole package and it challenges what people might hold so that's first. And that's really subtle because you don't, you don't see that. But you know just by being present. A couple of days ago, we were talking about the concept of distinguishing behavior, that when you come into a place and your behavior runs up against all the stereotypes that people held, now they have cognitive dissonance because they had decided whoever you are was X and you are not. And that's wonderful because that can cause people to be curious. So that's one thing. But I think the second thing is we had a healthy enough cadre of young men and women who wanted to ask questions. And unfortunately, in our school, there are 4,000 high school students and there are less than 300 black students. So it's less than 10%. So you can come through the school, the high school, and maybe not ever have a a relationship with someone who's African-American. So all of a sudden, the kids, the high school kids here at church, research topics start to change. And, and there's a dialogue. There's an open possibility of questions. I think people were curious. And they could be courageous because the, the stakes were pretty low. And so how do we do that in the real world? How do we set up, particularly in this moment in our nation, when emotions are so raw and so high? How do we create the space to say, I do want to talk to you. I I want you to understand how I feel when I watch this clip on the evening news. I want you to understand why this makes me cringe when a police car goes by. Again, I'm not asking you to agree, but do we have the kind of relationship because we know each other that you can come and ask me, what's this like for you and learn from that? there was a, an incident in front of my house where a gentleman was inebriated and his Uber driver threw him out in, in front of my house. Um, and I saw it. And so I walked out, he was so inebriated. And I called, I went in the house and I called the police and I heard myself on the phone. I live in a community that's probably about 85% white. And there's no other African-American family in our subdivision of about 80 houses. And I heard myself on the phone saying, Sir, this man needs help. I want you to come if you're willing to help him. He is sitting on the ground by a tree. He's not violent. He's been polite to me, but he is inebriated. Will you, I heard myself like challenging the dispatcher. And so when the two SUVs drive up, two young white men hop out, and this is a white Eastern European man, right? But I'm nervous for him. And all of a sudden, I realized I have put every law enforcement officer on notice. I don't know these two men. They were gracious and sweet and kind to him and to me. But on the phone, I'm like, look, I'm watching. You know, I never said I'm watching, but that's what was in my heart. So, how has this tainted me? Yes, I want to be wise, but I don't want to be my own kind of bigot. I couldn't stop crying when i went back to the house because i thought i have absorbed so much of this i was about to lecture these people about you know i'm watching and they couldn't have been they couldn't have been more
2: gracious yeah
1: it was a private comment that someone sent me last night. This is a particular a person of color who teaches in an uh, inner city setting. While we were on last night, she sent me a private chat. I almost didn't come on the night. I'm so tired. I had no hope. I was down, but I'm this. this energizes me. I mean, it was so wonderful. So I think about the balm for people who are on the front line and fighting every day to be in a chat room and, you know, Zoom with 30 people who are on the battlefield. Right. And how that, how that gave her power to go back out today. I do have
3: to give a huge shout out to the African-American and people of color um, who have come to these sessions. Um, particularly because like you said, Barrington is a predominantly white um, community. So our demographic in the room is predominantly white as well. I feel like the commitment that some of our community members have is what has really fueled us and um, brings me hope that there are people out there who seriously want to engage with one another. They want to understand one another, they want to get proximate with one another. Um, they want to ask questions and they want to speak authentically. I think we have a long way to go to really get to the place where relationships are so comfortable that we're not tiptoeing around each other. People have already made that first step by coming and committing, um, but it's now how to how to make that next step into going deeper with one another, but with all the tools that we've hopefully
2: powered them with.
3: We've seen both. People in the community have been able to come in and drop in and, um, and come and go depending on the topic, uh, depending on what their interest levels are. And some people have come for one and stayed for the rest, and others have come for one and not come back. It takes a while to warm up. It takes a while to get people to settle in and get comfortable, but once they get going, they don't want to stop. And so when we're thinking about future framing for that, or if people are looking to do conversation work or dialogue work, I would allow for a really long and slow warm up, and know that you're gonna go, it's like building a, a, a building. You're gonna go, you know, three months longer than you think you are. <laughs> you're gonna go 30 to 45 minutes to an hour longer than you think you are. Part of, um, I think, our theory around what we do Is about how we can picking up on what Zena was saying. How we can work within our own spheres of influence. When we get overwhelmed by, uh, you know, the global or the thirty thousand foot view, and you know you're unhappy about what you're seeing out there, or you're struggling to speak to a family member because you are on different sides of the political spectrum. Where do you start? And with whom do you do that work with? That was for me really important um, to come back down to the microcosm of our families, ourselves first, our families next, our communities next, right? And and hoping that there's a ripple effect that if we're able to be in conversation with ourselves authentically and honestly, that we'll be able to then do that with our family members and then with our community. It's like a grassroots movement of being in relationship with one another in a different way. So for me, it's important to ask our, our community to be able to think about how they can use their own influence for the um, benefit of someone else, right? And like Zena said, how we can do more just by speaking up or leaning in or listening. So those are the tiny, tiny little Um, tools that we can use that can really have a big impact, I think, if we do it all together.
1: I think in images and pictures, I'm from a long line of storytellers, and that's all I got. I want to grow a wildly diverse grove of trees. And this is what I mean by that. Some trees grow really fast. Um, Some trees can produce fruit in two or three years. Some trees take centuries. And they won't produce fruit for a decade, not fruit you can eat, for a decade. And some trees don't ever break the ground. They become the root system. They send their energy down, not up. But they create the root system that other trees benefit from. Everybody in this community is different. And some are, and and Jess and I can name them they are gonna shoot out of this experience and you're gonna see them and they're gonna produce fruit and it's gonna be immediate. And there are others who are gonna hold this and it's gotta nourish and turn inside for who knows how long. And it's gonna be slow growth, but they will be there in the long run. And we can't judge who's growing, how fast. We can't judge when their fruit is ripe and ready but what we can say is wherever you are don't stop growing wherever you are don't stop intending to someday bear fruit and send your roots down send your roots down if you if you just can't break the surface then whisper into the ears of those around you and be the nourishment for them but If you look at a stand of trees that are wildly diverse, what we have learned, what science has taught us, is those trees are still talking to each other at the level of the myceum. They're still talking to each other. They're still nourishing each other. And the forest stands because of what we can't see.
0: So we're not going to see it all. But that's okay,
1: as long as the trees are continuing to grow and continuing to bear fruit.
0: Thank you to Reverend Zina Jacques and Jessica Green, co-hosts of A Year of Courageous Conversations. To learn more, go to urbanconsulate.com slash courageous conversations. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on your favorite podcast channel. We're also on Twitter at News in Context SF, and you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.